what I see a lot of times with young entrepreneurs is they want to do everything. You know, they'll have one product that's doing really well and they want to create 10 more products. And I tried to explain to them that if you have a winning horse, ride that horse to the finish line. Don't try to get the horse that's in third place or fourth place when you already have the best horse in front of you. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 82 of the show. I'm thrilled that you're here and even more excited to introduce to you today's guest. His name is Louis Spagnolo. Louis is the chairman of Illuminati Trust, a diversified monetization company that has holdings in over 40 different industries. I'm talking everything from private aviation to insurance to technology. Lewis has worked alongside professional athletes, national business leaders, heads of state, and more, participating in close to $900 million in deals for his clients. But the real reason that I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode is that it would, of course, be easy for Lewis to just talk about the wins, about the great successes that he's had in his career. But in this conversation, we actually dive deep into some of the challenges some of these struggles and the mistakes that he's made. In fact, he even goes so far as to credit the massive success he's had in his career with the fact that he failed early and often, really made all of the mistakes so that he could leverage that education to create the incredible wealth, the success, the prosperity that he has for himself and for his family. Not only that, but the real reason that I was so thrilled to invite Lewis onto the show is because he is passionate about giving back and about leveraging his success to help other people. He's an active supporter of organizations like the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Special Olympics, and more. And in this episode, he even tells us about a special daily habit that he has, which is really designed to pay it forward by doing the little things, something that costs us absolutely nothing and yet can have such a massive outsized impact on other people. I just loved Lewis's energy that he brought to the show, and I know that you're going to resonate deeply with everything that he has to say as well. Before we dive in, I want to remind you to join the Facebook group. That's the best place where you can stay on top of what's going on with the show. You can vote for the Do Well and Do Good Challenge, and you can even ask any questions that you have around how to both increase your income and your impact. So you can find the group at dowellanddogood.co backslash FB, and I'll see you on the inside. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Louis Spagnolo. Lewis, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Set the stage for us here. You know, what was life like for you growing up? And really, what was the mindset around money and success that was instilled in you as a child? You know, you know really, it was, it was challenging. You know, I look back on it, but at the time, it's all we really knew. So we didn't look at it as, you know, we we're middle class or lower middle class or, you know, things like that. It was more like, hey, this is the cards we've been dealt and, and we got to do the best we can playing them. So what, what were those cards? What was 
we, you know, we grew up in the city. We grew up in the North end of Boston. We didn't have a car for a while. We did a lot of walking. Um, but, you know, things like that make you much stronger. You know, I think I, think I wouldn't really change anything about my upbringing, no matter how challenging it, it may have been. It made me the man that I am today. So when I look back on it, yeah, you know, it might have been more difficult than, than someone else maybe watching this, but I think it helped me in the long run. What would you say, like, what was the mindset around money in your family? Was, was there an abundance mindset, scarcity? I, mean- I think we, we were immigrants from, from Italy and that whole neighborhood that we grew up in was immigrants. And really, everyone was just happy to be in the United States. I think no one was really there to strive and, and be ambitious, per se. A lot of people took pride in just working hard, taking care of their family, and kind of having a normal existence. Um, so it was hard in the beginning because I really didn't have any role models, especially like in the business world that I could follow and, and emulate because I was ambitious from an early age. I, I always wanted more and I wanted to see more about the world and I wanted to grow. So it was a challenge from that standpoint. Um, I got a lot of my knowledge from libraries, believe it or not. I know most people probably aren't familiar with a library nowadays, <laughs> but I uh, used to go there. They used to give you a library card, actually, you go there. And used to be able to read like all these books and check them out. And I spent a lot of time there because that was really my only outlet to the rest of the world because we were pretty sheltered. You know, it's funny you say that because I was um, just, I saw a, a meme the other day that was something about a program that Amazon had where you could like rent books basically for free. And the meme was saying, oh, this is a brilliant idea for someone who's never heard of a library. <laughs> exactly. I don't even know if they still have libraries. I mean, I haven't seen one in the longest time. Oh, my fiance actually goes and works at the um, big, you know, beautiful uh, Harold Washington Library in downtown Chicago. When he first said that, I was like, gosh, like I didn't realize that. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I mean, they have amazing libraries in New York. We were just in New York and it was just incredible, you know, the history and, and the knowledge that's there. I think a lot of people overlook that, um, especially in today's world where everything's on demand and instant, people want instant results. I think that there's, there's a void in people taking the time to educate themselves and to read. Well, you know, I mean, we're kind of joking about it, but it's so true. Now, today, I mean, here in 2019, if there's something that you want to learn, if there's a business that you want to get into, the abundance of free education that's out there, you know, in books or online is truly mind boggling, right? And so, you know, I think one thing that, you know, is so powerful about your story, which we're definitely going to get into is, you know, the fact that you have managed to create success in so many different areas of business, so many different verticals, which, you know, I think does speak to the, you know, the opportunity that is out there and, you know, how we can go out and really expand our knowledge and be continuously growing throughout our careers. Definitely. No, definitely. Well, so I want to talk quickly about you know the first big success that you had in business. My understanding is that you were in college, you were about 20 years old, and you started this business selling batteries. Can you, can you tell us that story? Yeah. you know, Cell phones had just come out in the US and I was fascinated with cell phones. I mean, there was car phones for a few years and then the actual mobile phone came out and you know, I was just enthralled with that technology. I was like technology growing up. And one of the things that was really a hardship with the phones was the batteries only lasted like six months. And they were what was called NICAD batteries. And they were extremely expensive. I mean, they were $150 to $200. And you used to have to always replace them. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's incredible. You know, how these batteries could be so much money. You know, there must be like some high tech special green solution or something in them, you know, that NASA, you know, fabricated. And, you know, that's why they're so much. 
And it actually happened through uh, adversity. You know, that's what I tell people a lot of times, like your struggles sometimes lead to your successes. And we had a problem with the business. And at the time I was a little hotheaded and I got my cell phone and I threw it against the wall. And what happened was it shattered into a million pieces. And when I went to pick it up, I saw that, that there was like AAA batteries on the floor. And I was like, wow, where did these AAA batteries come from? You know, it really it blew me away. And then I said, wait a second, I think these AAA batteries were crammed into the battery pack. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, all these batteries are rechargeable batteries. So once I determined that, I decided to reach out to different companies and see if there was basically a more economical way to make these batteries. Because I felt that there was a need for a price point that was actually better than what was available. And I talked to some companies and they weren't very interested in doing it. And someone turned me on to a gentleman actually in China. And at the time, China was unheard of. You know, people, you know, weren't doing business there. It was really, you know, pre-internet, obviously. So it was very hard to communicate. And I met this gentleman. He told me to send him over some samples. So I bought some samples. And basically what they did was they recreated it. They sent them back to me. They worked. We tested them. And we were basically able to replicate all the major phone brands' batteries. I think it was something like between 3 and $4 each. So we felt there was a huge opportunity there. So initially, our thought was to sell the batteries to the cell phone stores. Because back then, there was no Verizon and AT&T stores. They were all mom-and-pop fragmented stores that would sell the phones and hook up the services. Well, what we didn't realize was the phone manufacturers basically had a monopoly where they made their authorized dealers only sell their products. And that was a huge profit uh, stream for them, selling the components, the car adapters, the batteries, things like that. So we were like disappointed. And then, you know, through sheer luck, one of my friends was from South America, from Venezuela. And he said, Lou, you know, what if, what if we sell them, you know, out of the country? And at first I thought he was crazy because I never sold, you know, really anything in the United States, never mind out of the country. You know, one thing kind of led to another and we realized that there was a huge market down there. And basically what we did was we made generic batteries. The company was called Level One. And we sold them throughout all the countries in South America and, and did really well. So that was kind of my first entry point to learning a lot of things, international business, banking, uh, logistics, things like that really helped build the foundation for things that I did later on. Gosh, that is just such a fascinating story. And I think what's especially cool about the genesis of this business, you know, your first big success as an entrepreneur is this idea that I think so many companies are born out of just looking at your daily life and thinking about, you know, what what annoys you? Like what doesn't make sense about the things that you're doing, the things that you're buying? So, you know, for you to look at a cell phone battery and find out what's in there and think, why the hell does this cost two hundred dollars? You know, it's just like the the founders of Dollar Shave Club who were wondering, you know, why do I have to physically go to a Walgreens and pay $30 for a pack of razor blades that cost probably 50 cents to manufacture. Warby Parker with eyeglasses, same thing. So you know, I think for anyone listening out there who is wants to be an entrepreneur but is struggling to come up with that idea, the first thing to do, I think, is just open your eyes and start looking around your life and taking notice of these things that are frustrating or annoying or why does that cost so much? Would you agree? Hundred percent, and and all the times when people pitch me business ideas to invest in and partner and things like that, the first question I always ask them is, "What problem does it solve?" 
And a lot of times they can't even answer it. And they'll say, well, it's just like, you know, a great product or it's a, a great idea or it's a great service. And I'm like, well, what problem are you really solving? You know, what's, what's your competitive advantage? You know, what really are you giving the consumer that brings more value than what the market's giving now? So I think that's one of the first litmus tests that we do to find out, you know, does this have uh, legs that it could basically serve people and add value to their life? Or is this a cool idea that someone came up with that really there's no business demand for? I couldn't agree more. I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to spend money to get away from pain a lot more readily than they are to just move towards something pleasurable or something cool. So, you know, having your product or your business that really solves a, a painful problem for people is is so important. So, you know, one thing that I want to talk about, you know, I, I was listening to another interview that you did where you were talking about this business and how, you know, suddenly at 20 years old, you were making, you went from broke to making tens of thousands of dollars a month. And one thing you talked about, and please correct me if I'm getting this story wrong, but you you touched on the fact that you allowed your lifestyle to expand dramatically along with this increase in income so that you were still essentially living month to month despite all this money that was coming in. Is that right? Yeah, because you know what happens is when when you don't grow up in an environment that has that business structure with role models where you could you know see how people do things and ask them questions. There's really no playbook or manual. You know, there's nothing we learned in college or in high school or you know at the library that says okay, once you start making money, you know these are the things you need to do. You know, so I always felt there was a huge void in that when it comes to education, and that's one of the projects. Hopefully, eventually we could get to because when I started, you know, having some success. You know, I just thought it was going to be, you know, straight up to the moon. You know, I was like, okay, if I'm 21 years old and I'm making this amount, when I'm 25, you know, I'll be making double and when I'm 30, I'll be making double than that. And I was naive to that. So as much as we were making, you know, I was spending just as much, if not more, because I felt that, you know, I'm only going to make more money. I'm going to get smarter, more experience, and it's just going to be, you know, straight up trajectory. What I didn't realize was in, in business and in life, a lot of times things that are unexpected that you can't plan for happen. And that's why it's very important to prepare for those things and manage the risk and have reserves, you know, have those extra chips that you're holding. So if something happens, you know, you could play those chips and take advantage of a situation or bail yourself out of a situation. So that was one of the things that we learned from that where, you know, regardless of how much money you make, you have to spend a small percentage of that if you, if you ever plan on, you know, building something for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really wanted to talk about this because it's a trap that I myself fell into very, very badly. I mean, when I when I quit my job at that, you know, at that salary job, I was making probably five thousand dollars a month. And, you know, a year and a half later, I have this business that's bringing in twenty thousand dollars a month. And yet somehow I was still essentially living, you know, quote unquote paycheck to paycheck in my business. And and that was really what happened. And so, you know, I had to have a, a really hard look at what was going on and say, you know, what what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you know, how is how is this the situation? And start to, you know, start to just be deliberate about it and pay myself first, save first, and then, you know, use the money that's left over to to grow the business and and sure, you know, have have the lifestyle that you want, but to do it in a way that's responsible and that's not going to end up with everything blowing up and you're in a really bad position. So, you know, I guess my question to you would be, what advice do you have to someone who is in this place where their their income's rising, their business is being successful, but they, you know, they recognize this trap and want to be intelligent about the way they're managing this revenue coming in? 
Definitely. I, I think there's a void um, with education when it comes to this. You know, obviously we have a lot of people that help you with your investments and, and stocks and you know bonds and things like that, but there's really no education for someone that's growing a business or, or you know growing their position at their work and making more income and things like that. So what I try to tell people is to try to keep it as simple as possible. And what I tell people is whatever you're making, use 25% of that to live on. You know, pay your expenses, you know, go to dinner, you know, do your variable costs, things like that. And save the other seventy five percent. And when I tell people that, they look at me, you know, like I'm crazy. But I try to explain to them, it's like anything else in life. You know, there's always going to be storms that come. There's always going to be unexpected things. You know, you're always going to have something where your refrigerator goes, or there's a, a, a leak in your roof, or you know, you need a new transmission in your car. And you have to be ready for those things because the more successful you become, the more exposure you have to things that are unexpected. You know, so when you have a job where you're making, you know, just, you know, entry level position, where you make a small amount of money, you don't really have to worry about too, th- too many things because you're probably living with your parents. You, know, you probably have very low overhead, very low fixed costs. But when you start making a lot of money, you know, you buy the house, you have your wife, you have your kids, you have two cars, you have their education. You have a lot more variables that could go wrong and create issues. So you have to be more prepared for that. So typically I tell people, you know, spend 25%. If it goes to 30%, fine. But make sure you never go over that 50% mark because you never know when you're going to need that capital, whether it's for something personal or something even in the business sector. I could not agree with you. More. <laughs> that is absolutely phenomenal advice. And you know, I'll add, anyone who wants to dive deeper into this topic, I read a book called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Have you heard of that one, Lewis? I have. Yeah, I haven't read it, but I heard of that. Oh my gosh, it just changed everything for me. And so, you know, it's really all about exactly what you're saying, you know, save first and really be deliberate and, you know, have a have a plan for your money rather than just letting it kind of happen to you as opposed to, you know, be directed by you. So, could you tell the story of, you know, what happened in that cell phone business? Um, you know, I I believe there was a little bit of a a crash like you talked about. Yeah, we had a setback. Ba- basically, you know, we were spending money like drunken sailors. And I think I went from making like $161 a week to about 60000 a month. And I was a young kid. And this was, you know, going back 25 years ago. So that amount of money was a lot back then. You know, there was months I was spending 65000 70000 And my credit card bill was like 80000 But I thought that the money was never going to end. I just felt so confident in myself. I felt that, you know, I was always going to make good decisions. I was never going to have a miscalculation. And I was confident that it was only going to keep getting better because the business was growing. And it was growing exponentially. And we still had a lot of countries that we weren't even in yet. And I felt we could go to Europe and we'd go to Asia. And I just had these huge plans uh, of basically taking over the world for cell phone accessories at the time. But what happened was, uh, there was I mean, never forget, we were getting ready to go out to dinner. And I got a phone call from Venezuela. And one of the point people we had down there called me. And he's telling me that there's a coup d'etat and that they're storming the presidential palace and you know all these crazy things. And I couldn't really understand what he was saying because in, in school, we never learned about things like that with the government. Like we always took it for granted that the United States was so stable. We never had to worry. You know, we never had any issues, revolts, things like that. Whereas in other countries, they haven't been historically as stable. And basically, that was the start of, of General Hugo Chavez basically taking over Venezuela. You know, him and, and the military creating basically a military state where they took over. And the old regime, you know, had to leave, basically. I didn't realize what a coup attempt was on the government, you know, because we don't have that in the United States. We don't have, you know, a general from the army come take over the White House. You know, so this was something that was new to me that I didn't even think was possible to happen. And, And when it did, it created a huge hardship for the country. 
where the interest rates went to 44%, 48%, which at the time was, was astronomical. Compared to today, though, it's a different situation. You know, it's like a million percent inflation they have now. But back then, you know, in the 40s, was just hard to fathom. And what happened was they basically put a ban on the banks for allowing people to withdraw money. And that was a big problem because we had a lot of money down there and we had a lot of our inventory down there and we couldn't access that money and we couldn't access the inventory. And eventually what happened was they, they loosened um, the regulations and they allowed us to take out 10000 a month. The problem with that was it was going to take us like 27 years to get our money out. So that wasn't a viable option as well. So basically, overnight, the business kind of shut down in a sense because we couldn't do the wires, the transfers. You know, you can't operate if you can't do the bank wires, especially internationally. You know, your business is, is going to go under. And when the country destabilized like that, it created a huge amount of issues to the point that we had to go down there and do some really drastic things, you know, considering the extenuating circumstance to try to get our money back. And we only got a small portion of it back. And it really... Uh, had an impact on me and, and really, you know, dampened my ego tremendously that I could have something like this just fall apart overnight without even making a bad decision. So not only did it humble me, but it really put things in perspective and let me know that no matter how good you are, there's always something that could happen. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think that when you know, obviously you have had a phenomenally successful career, you have done so many incredible things. But I think that the things that we can learn the most from are those struggles, those moments that really kind of slap you in the face and, and teach you those hard lessons that you've you know since taken on into everything that you've done. Hundred percent. Yeah, and one thing I could add too is I've made probably more mistakes in business than anybody in the history of the world. I mean, I have to be the champion of of making every mistake known to man. And I was blessed with the fact that once I stopped that business and eventually I got into venture capital in the late 90s, and that's when the stock market was exploding with technology, I worked for this venture capital company and we invested in about 30 companies and I helped raise about $90 million for them, which was a lot of money at the time back then. Consequently, every single company we invested in went out of business and failed. So 30 out of 30 you know, were complete failures. And crazy because everybody in the office was crying and they were sad because they all thought they were going to be rich on their stock options and things like that. And I was really happy. And everyone was looking at me like, this guy's crazy. Like We just lost all the money. All the companies went out of business. None of us are going to be millionaires. I tried to explain that we just got the greatest education that we'll ever have the opportunity to have because you'll never be able to see 30 companies fail and watch every single mistake that they made. Because no one could really start 30 companies from scratch in, in a lifetime and then have them all fail because people would give up. Like no one has that much fortitude. You know, after the 25th company fails, like, oh, let's do the 26th and have that one fail. And, you know, so we were so lucky that basically after that, I learned every possible mistake you can make in growing a company and taking that knowledge and expertise just dramatically helped me going forward. So the one piece of advice I'd give to people is when you're young, make all your mistakes. You know, make all your mistakes when you're in your 20s. Don't make mistakes in your 30s and your 40s because that's when life gets real. You know, that's when you have responsibilities, when you have a wife, when you have kids, you know, when you have bills you have to pay. But when you're young in your 20s, don't be afraid. You know, make as many mistakes, fail. It's okay. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong at failing when you're young. You just don't want to fail when you're older. That's when it becomes an issue because then that tells people that you didn't make the mistakes when you're young and you're still making mistakes now. 
Yeah. But I mean, even if there is someone in their thirties listening to this show, like if, if you've had a failure, learn from it, you know, the worst thing you can do is to have, have that failure and then just, you know, not actually take anything from that experience. So, you know, I couldn't agree more. Well, Lewis, I want to change tracks a little bit because I read a statistic that on average, millionaires have seven streams of income. But I think that that statistic can kind of work against early stage entrepreneurs who then feel the need to be kind of chasing three rabbits at once before they've actually caught the first. So you know, as someone who is now working in more than 40 different interest industries, I'm really interested to hear your perspective on this. So what's the balance between focus and diversification? And how do you know when you're ready to go after that second, third, fourth stream of income? Well, first off, I didn't start there with 40. You know, I mean, that's what I think people have to understand. You know, that was 20 years of work to get to that point. Initially, you know, I tell everyone the key to being successful in business is to have extreme focus. And what I see a lot of times with young entrepreneurs is they want to do everything. You know, they'll have one product that's doing really well and they want to create 10 more products. And I tried to explain to them that if you have a winning horse, ride that horse to the finish line. Don't try to get the horse that's in third place or fourth place when you already have the best horse in front of you. And one of the problems I see a lot of people doing is they try to go out and, and do business as if they were holding a shotgun where the pellets are just flying everywhere in all different directions. And they think that's going to be the best way to you know, go hunting and what have you. Whereas in reality, the best way is to have a sniper rifle and have it so, so focused on one target. And that's all you care about and use the least amount of energy. You only use one shot to get that target. And that's all you care about. And then once you have that target, you move on to the next one. And that's how you become successful is just having that finite focus, being consistent and going from one challenge to the next because it could be overwhelming. If you try to take on all the challenges at once, it's almost impossible to succeed. And that's why as I tell people, whenever you have a problem, break it down into sections and just focus on what the first section is and what the objective is and have that as your sole focus and then worry about the rest later. That is absolute gold. Thank you so much for sharing that. Also, Lewis, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that the big reason that I was so excited to have you on is because of the way that you are leveraging your success to help other people and to, to really pay it forward. And I actually read in another interview that you did that every day... I like to prepare for these things. <laughs> no, you did unbelievable. I mean, like my biggest fan here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every day for the past four plus years, you've made it a habit to do three random acts of kindness. Can you tell me more about that? You know, it's so funny because like in society, it seems like today, like no one's really nice. You know, it's like amazing. You know, and there's times I'll leave my house and I'll just go in the elevator and I'll tell someone good morning. And they look at me as, a, as if I'm going to like rob them or something. I'm going to like mug them. And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just saying good morning. You know, how's your day? You know, trying to be nice like that. So I think society has really, you know, gone away from that. So I try to make an extra point, you know, and it could be something so trivial where, you know, I see someone that's dressed up nice and I say, hey, you look nice today. Hey, you know, I like how you did your hair. Or I like your, you know, suit or your, you know, jacket or whatever. Because I've realized that that really lifts people up when you give people a compliment, you know, and it could be even like holding a door from someone, you know, simple things like that. I try to make sure every day I do at least three things, you know, of acts of kindness. You know, I don't expect anything in return. And when you do them and you do them consistently and you see the reaction on people's face, you're like, wow, all I did was, you know, said something like really simple and nice or, you know, I helped someone carry something to their car, you know, something really basic. And the impact that it makes is so gratifying that once I started doing it, I just, I haven't stopped and I've been doing it almost for five years now. That is amazing. And you never know. I mean, the, 
we don't know people's stories, right? You know, we don't know who's going through what, you know, where people are. And so, you know, something that could be so simple to you, like helping someone carry something to their car, you know, could completely change their day or their week. Exactly. And what did it cost you? You know, the thing is, the beauty of that is everybody that's listening to this could do this. There's no financial burden. You know, you don't have to have any special skills. There's nothing to learn. You know, it's just very easy to say good morning to someone. Or, you know, how are you today? Oh, you look nice today. You know, simple things like that that have a positive impact on someone could not only make their day, maybe it, you know, makes their week or their month, or, you know, maybe they're going for a job interview and they're nervous and, and you said how nice they look and it gave them more confidence and, you know, that helped them get the job. You know, I think if more people did that, you know, society as a whole would, would really benefit. Yeah. And to the question of like, what does it cost you? Like, not only does it not cost you anything, but you gain so much from that. You know, it makes you feel, feel good. And, and so I just, I couldn't agree more. That's amazing. Also, tell me, Lewis, at this point in your career, what does fulfillment mean to you? I mean, what does it mean to you to be able to give back to these organizations that you care about in such a big way? I think it's super important because I think it's super important for people to continually evolve and, and develop themselves. And if you've been you know, blessed with having even a small amount of success, I really feel that you have an obligation to help others that haven't been as fortunate. And when you do that, you know, I tell people all the time, really the person that benefits is me. You know, I'll help people and, and they're all ecstatic and happy and everyone's like, wow, you, know, you really help them and they benefit so much. And it, it's true. You know, they, they do benefit. But the gratification that I get and the happiness that it gives me and the good energy that it brings me is just contagious. So like when people see me, they'll see how happy I am and, and good spirits I'm in. And one of the reasons for that is I get so much gratification from helping people and paying it forward and, and doing things like act of kindness and random act of kindness that it helps you, I think, internally. Like It just cleanses your soul and I think it makes you a better person. So it's something that I'm pretty adamant about. And, you know, I kind of give some of my friends that are successful a hard time. And, you know, I kind of call them out saying, you know, what have you done this week? What have you done this month to help someone else, you know, help, help move someone forward, you know, no matter how small or big it may be. And, you know, they kind of get taken back saying, you know, well, it's not my job, you know, it's not my obligation. And, you know, why do I have to do that? And I said, the reason why you have to do it or you should want to do it is because you've been so blessed with such an incredible life. You know, what is it for you to give a small portion of that to someone else and let them have that feeling and that sensation, you know, and then they think about it and then they'll do it and they'll call me up and they're like, Hey, you're not going to believe this. You know, I did this for this person. Did the fact. It was like, unbelievable. The person was so happy and I really enjoyed it, you know, and I can't wait. I'm going to do it again next time. And, you know, so I think really it's just the person being exposed to it initially and then not being afraid, you know, to go out of their comfort zone and do something. And then they get the gratification back. Oh gosh, I'm just smiling ear to ear for everyone who's listening on the recording. It's just it's inspiring. And I think you're so right. And and the feeling that that you get that feeling of fulfillment of being able to help other people and and really make a difference in someone's life. I mean, you can't you can't put a price on that. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. You know, and I think like I said, you know, I wish more people, you know, that had an incredible means uh, to do more. You know, because I really feel that not only would they benefit, but everybody around them benefit. And I tell people all the time, you know, rising sea raises all ships, you know, and I think that's important. If more people focused on that, you know, they have a more fulfilled life. Amazing. Well, Lewis, I would love to keep this going all day, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. So we're going to move into the impact round. So what's going to happen is I'll ask you a few short questions and I'd love for you to just respond with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? Yeah, go ahead. All right, let's do it. So Lewis, who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? 
I wouldn't say it's one person. I would say my family, because I think your family is really the most important in life, especially with, you know, being ambitious and, and encouraging you because without that support, I think it's extremely hard to try to do it on your own. You know, I always believe everything that I've accomplished hasn't been me. You know, it's really been the people around me. And I've just been fortunate enough to be like that lead dog, you know, kind of like in the sled race. But if it wasn't for everyone else, you know, I, I think it'd be, you know, wrong to say, you know, I did this, I did that. That's why I always use the word we. Like a lot of times people will ask me questions. They'll be like, well, who's we? You know, where's these other people? And I'm like, no, you know, we is, is me and everyone that's helped contribute. So I would definitely say my family. And who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and really make an impact? I want to say, but I don't want to come across as, as being egotistical, but I think it's, it's me. And I, I think with everyone, it's always yourself. You know, as I tell people all the time, it's always you against you. And if you're not going to motivate yourself and, and you're not going to take action and, and execute and want to strive towards things, no one else is going to do it for you. And no matter who you have in your life, they're not going to be with you 24 hours a day to keep encouraging you and to keep pushing you. You know, they can give you a pep talk here and there, and, that, and that's great. Sometimes that makes a huge difference. But if you don't have it internally on your own, it's going to be hard to get that from someone else. And when you're having a bad day or you find yourself in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? I actually have a little trick for this. <laughs> yeah, because believe it or not, you know, uh, everybody has bad days and, and challenges and, and everything goes wrong and things like that. So I want people to understand that that's normal. So when you're having that bad day and nothing's going right and you feel like you have no luck or you're cursed or things like that, don't get all panicked and crazy. One of the tricks that I kind of do is I kind of leave my office, number one, and I go to the men's room and I put the cold water on and I wash my face. What I didn't realize was they've done studies on this that when you wash your face with cold water, it helps your uh, endorphins and it puts you in better spirits and it gives you a better outlook. So typically I'll do that a couple times a day. And then what I like to do is I like to go for a walk for 10 minutes and just, you know, to clear my head, to be outside, you know, see the trees, see the, you know, feel the breeze, things like that, just to kind of like take a break and decompress for a short amount of time say, okay, you know, we'll get this going. We'll find a solution. You know, let's just look at this rationally. Because I think a lot of times people get trapped in their office and at their desk and the pressure just builds and it becomes too much. It becomes overwhelming. So I tell them the smartest thing to do is go wash your face with cold water, go outside for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, walk around. And trust me, when you come back, you'll feel a million times better. Oh, I love that. I haven't heard the face washing trick before, but it's so true. You do like, yeah. yeah wake really, up. It, you know, it sounds so simple. And I, I tell people all the time, the most simplistic things are the best ones because they actually work. And, and I hope people try this because when you do, you'll realize you just instantaneously just feel better right away. And then when you combine that with, you know, walking, a little exercise, getting some fresh air, you come back to your office and you're ready to take on the world again. New person. Yeah. So Lewis, what book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? I get this question a lot and I've probably bought uh, at least 300 copies of uh, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy. That really, it's a blue book. And that book really changed my life. I read it in the year 2000. I was in California. And from that moment on, it introduced me to spirituality and the universe and things like that and controlling your subconscious mind. And really, that took my life from you know, one level to an astronomically higher level. And basically, I've applied those principles in, in everything and been incredibly fortunate. So when people ask me, I tell them that and I can't begin to tell you how many people have called me and emailed me and saying what results they've gotten, how incredible it is. And thank you so much. So that would really be the one I would recommend. Power of Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy. It's just a great starting place to get into you know, spirituality, the universe, and your subconscious mind. 
Amazing. Yeah. I mean, our subconscious drives literally everything in our lives. And, and so, um, you know, that's one that I haven't read. I've read a lot of books in that, that whole genre, but I'll definitely check that one out. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised and pleased. It's, it's a really good book, you know, and it's really easy to read. So the final question of the impact round, all right, and my favorite, what is the best piece of advice related to happiness that you would give our listeners? I think happiness, you know, it it has to be broken down into a couple, you know, segments per se. I think it's very important to have a purpose in life. You know, I think that if you don't have a purpose, you, you just start to die in a sense. And you see a lot of people that retire, they no longer work, they don't have a purpose, and they're essentially just waiting to die. So I think it's critical that when you wake up in the morning, every morning you have a purpose. And I think that when you combine that with goals, that becomes really important. Having a purpose, having goals, and then being committed to growing as a person. I think if you're not continually growing, you get stagnated. And I tell people all the time, you're either going forward or you're going backwards. There's no neutral. It's not like a car. So I think it's important to always want to go forward, accomplish more things, and keep striving to get better. And one of the things you know, we kind of joke around about is I'm always saying, you know, be great, let's be great, and let's achieve greatness. And, and you know, greatness is so important. And everybody could achieve greatness, no matter what your profession is, no matter where you are in life. You could always be great at everything you do. You just have to make a commitment to want to be great. Yeah. How you do anything is how you do everything. I just adore that answer, Lewis. And you rocked the impact round. So thank you for that. (laughs) Now, last question for you. As you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. So could you tell us what organization you're nominating and why? I would do Make-A-Wish, to be honest with you, because... Number one, it's focused on children. And I think children are just so important because they're, they can't control their destiny, whereas adults can to a certain degree. And one of the things I love about Make-A-Wish is I think it's like 91% of the money that you get donated actually goes towards the kids and their wish. And that's incredible because if you look at different charities, some of them you know, only pay out, say, 3%, 4%. And the majority of that money goes to administration, paying salaries, overhead, things like that. So one of the beauties is if, if you work with Make-A-Wish and you help provide a wish to one of these kids that you know are sick or dying or what have you, number one, it makes an incredible difference in them. And number two, you could feel assured that your money is going in the right place and that person's really going to benefit from it and you are going to make a difference. So that was one of the things that attracted me. So you know, if I, if I had to suggest to anyone, you know, a charity that really you know, could change someone's life and, and especially if they're you know, sick and what have you, you know, Make-A-Wish is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a a close friend who worked for Make-A-Wish and the things that they do for kids, it's just incredible, mind-boggling. So we will link to that organization in the show notes. And so finally, before we say goodbye, Lewis, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about your business and to keep up with everything you're doing? You know, truthfully, I think LinkedIn is really the best platform, you know, because I'm constantly updating. I'm constantly trying to give people inspiration. I'm trying to drop nuggets of, you know, business success and expertise and things people could do. And I try to make it as simple as possible so everyone could relate to it. So I think that's really the best platform if people want to try to, you know, resonate with some of the things that I spoke about, you know, follow me on LinkedIn and, you know, hopefully uh, you'll get a lot out of it. Amazing. And that's definitely, that's where I found you too. So I can attest to that. (laughs) Lewis, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. You've been great. All right, everyone. That's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the do well and do good challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. 
The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.